At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kurt McDonald. I am one of the pastors uh, here at Gospel Community Church, and I'm really excited to be with you this morning because I get the great privilege of uh, opening up and expounding upon God's holy, inspired, uh, and an errant word. May he add his blessing to it this morning. Uh, well, by virtue of being human, there are things that uh, we all have in common. Now, we don't all uh, like the same restaurants, we don't like the same food, we don't all like the same music. Uh, some people are a little more country, some people a little more rock and roll. Uh, some, some of us are tall, some are short, some are older, some are younger. Th- those are things that we don't have in common, but because we are humans, there is something that we all have in common. There are several things, and one of the main things that all of us have in common is this. We all care about what other people think. Every single one of us. We all care about what other people think. You know, some people obsess over it and some people aren't as concerned, but still, we all care about what other people think. And as a matter of fact, the people that pretend like they don't care about what other people think are actually doing that so that other people will think that they're awesome. (laughs) And so some of us um, just simply cannot stand for somebody to be mad at us. We want everybody to to like us and we really care about what people think in that way. Uh, Other people don't really care if people like them, but they care that they respect them. And so whichever type of person you are, it doesn't really matter. We all care about what other people think. And, and if you don't believe me, if, if, you're, if you're making an argument in your head to say, well, I know this person over here, they don't care what other people want. Well, let, let me just give you my argument. Here's my argument for why I know for sure that everybody cares about what other people think. My argument in two words, social media. That's my argument in two words to prove to you that we actually do care about what other people think. If you want to jot this down, social media is designed to train the human heart to love the praise of others. That's exactly what social media does. And the crazy thing is our heart actually doesn't need much training in that area, does it? We naturally just love the praise of other people, but social media is actually designed and created in such a way that it would train our hearts to love the praise of other people. That's exactly, think about this. Why did they design it with a like counter? (laughs) To train your heart to to get excited at how many likes you got. Oh, you got four thumbs up and eight winky faces. You cannot, I mean, you are just pumped up about that. It, It gets you excited. It does something to your heart when you see that other people are accepting you, that other people are liking you, that other people are sharing something that you said. I mean, I got, I got four shares, man. I mean, that's, that's even just above a like. Not only did they like it, they shared it, man. This is, this is what social media does. It, it shows us, it proves 
proves the point that we all care about what other people think. That's exactly why you post the photo of you and your kid at the park smiling. You know, hashtag mom life. The, the, picture, the picture that you don't post is uh, on the car ride home when your kid is totally exhausted and they're crying and losing their mind. You don't snap that picture and post that one. You post the picture when they're happy and you're pushing them on the swing. Why? Because you care about what people think. That, that's, that's, that's why social media proves to us that we care about what people think. Right. We, we, we all we all do. We got to we got to be honest <clears throat> with ourselves in that way. Now, as a as a disclaimer, I'm not saying that social media is evil and you're not a sinner if you use it. I am saying that we should be very, 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 very reluctant to put it in the hands of our children because of how powerful it is. And as a matter of fact, almost every single study that's coming out right now shows a direct correlation between teenagers having higher anxiety and higher levels of depression um, those who have access to social media. But that's a whole different sermon. I'm not preaching that sermon. What I am saying is that we should be very, very watchful over our own hearts. And I do understand uh, the, you know, the, the irony of what I'm saying right now, because as I'm preaching to you, it's being uploaded to social media. So I, I, get, I, get, that, <clears throat> I get that whole thing. Here, here is... Uh, Here's what I'm saying. Social media is a hammer, okay? You can, you can smash your finger with it. Uh, you can bust out windows and tear up things that aren't supposed to be torn up. Or you can use it to drive a nail and build something beautiful, okay? That's, that's the idea. But here is my main point. Again, back to my main point, is that it shows us that we really care about what people think. You see, back in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of humanity and the introduction of sin into the world, that turned everything upside down. And so what we began to do is then value value the opinions of others over the opinion of God. See, before the fall, uh, Adam walked with God in this sense of shalom and peace, and Adam ultimately cared about God's opinion, and he knew that God loved him and all was right with the world. But when sin entered into the world, it took that, that idea and it flipped it upside down, and so now we desperately care about what other people think over what God thinks. This is what happened. And so if, if you want, I got one point for you today, one, one big idea, one main point. Here it is. What God thinks is really what counts. What God thinks. What God thinks is, is really what counts. I mean, that's, that's ultimate. That's it. That's, that's all that there is. It's what God thinks is ultimately what people, is, is ultimately what counts. See, other people's opinions can be useful and helpful. I'm not saying other people's opinions don't matter. Other people's opinions can be useful and helpful, but they can also be hurtful or harmful. But what we need to know is that other people's opinions are not ultimate. What God thinks about us is ultimate. So what does God think about it? So if, if the whole premise of the sermon, the whole main point today is what God thinks really counts, what is it that God thinks about those who are in Christ? What does God think about us? Well, I got some verses for you today, y'all. Y'all like verses? I got verses today. Here we go. Let's just go 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creation. What God thinks about you is ultimate, and God said you are a new creation. You say, well, I don't feel like a new creation. It doesn't matter your opinion of yourself. You might say, well, they told me I was old and busted. Well, don't worry about your opinion of yourself. Don't worry about what they said. What God says is that you're a new creation. Y'all aren't excited? I got more verses. Here we go. Uh, 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You're chosen. You're chosen. You're chosen. Don't you see that? God? 
God loves you. He chose you and he says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. If you are in Christ, you have royal blood flowing through your veins. It says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You might say, well, I feel like I've been abandoned. Uh, These people told me that I was totally worthless. God says that you're chosen. God says you're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. This is what God thinks about you. This is what God has declared over you, that this is what you are. I love this part. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How about Ephesians 2.10? For we are his workmanship. You were handcrafted by the one who handcrafted the universe. Right? Isn't that amazing? You are God's workmanship, handcrafted by the one who handcrafted the entire universe. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God declares that he's got some amazing stuff for you to do. As a matter of fact, he thought about it a really, really long time ago, and he's going to make sure that that stuff comes about. You're his workmanship. He's got all these good works for you to do. Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave. You have been set free today. This is what God thinks about you. He, when he looks at you, he doesn't see a slave. He sees a son. He sees somebody who's been set free from sin. You say, well, I feel like I'm in bondage over sin. They told me that I would never change. They told me that I would always be this way. No, no, that's their opinion. That might be your opinion of yourself. But what God says is that you've been set free. You're no longer a slave. You're, you are a son adopted by God. And just for good measure, I, I got to read Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am... I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor anything present or future is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. God's opinion of us is the most important thing that there is. It is, it is the highest. It is the ultimate. And all of that right there is who God says that you are. That, that is fantastic, fantastic news this morning, church family. This is God's opinion of us. This is what God thinks of us. And this is what God the Father has declared of us. This should liberate us. This should set us free from so many fears and anxieties. There are so many of us, myself included, that is just absolutely dominated by the, the opinions that I form of myself and absolutely dominated by the opinions of other people. And what this text is going to show us this morning is that there is a place of freedom. There's a place of liberation to, to take the useful opinions, the useful things that that people have for us and that we have for ourselves and use those, but to ultimately understand that God's opinion is ultimate. What God thinks is what really counts, and that's what the Apostle Paul is going to tell us in our text today. So let's get to it. 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 says this, this is how one should regard us. So what was happening in the church is they had formed some opinions about their pastors. Uh, the, the people in the church had formed an opinion about Paul. They had formed an opinion about Apollos. They had formed an opinion about Peter. Uh, and and they, some of them had said, oh, well, this, this guy, I mean, Paul is way better than the others. Uh, and these people over here were saying, no, no, not Paul, Apollos. I mean, he... Apollos is the man. He, so some were placing way too much value on the individual pastor. But then there was this other group over here that was totally devaluing the pastors altogether. Oh, we don't need those guys. We'll figure it out ourselves. 
right? So some were overvaluing, some were devaluing, but, but here's, here's what they had done. They were self-appointed judges of Paul and the others when they did not have the authority to appoint themselves as judges. Church family, have you ever thought this thought in your head? Somebody will say something and, and in your mind, or maybe even out loud, you'll say, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> That's exactly what they had done when they didn't have the authority to do that. So what he's doing here is he's correcting their idea that they have formed about them, about this group of pastors. So he says, this is how one should regard us. Here is what your opinion should be about us because you have formed an opinion that's actually not very good. Here's how he describes himself. Look at this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Um, so some were putting them way up here on a pedestal, like almost to the level of deity. Um, some of them were putting them way down here as, as totally worthless. And he says, no, no, here's how you should think about your pastors. You should think about us as servants of Christ. Now, what's really interesting about this, if you, if you go back and study the Greek, you realize that most of the time when the Apostle Paul uses the word servants, he's actually using the Greek word for deacon, because that's what a deacon is. A deacon is a servant. But he doesn't use that Greek word here. He uses a different Greek word, which I will not attempt to pronounce because I'll totally botch it. But the Greek word that he uses here means under rower. A what? <laughs> Uh, uh, imagine a big giant ship and out of that ship there are the oars and at the very bottom of the ship in the belly of the ship there's the dude and he, you know, he's going row, row, row and those guys are row, row, row That's the, the, he, he uses the Greek word for those guys the under rowers he doesn't say um, let me tell you how you should regard the pastors you should regard us as the captain of the vessel Arr. No, no. No, he says, we are, we are the dudes in the bottom of the ship rowing, pushing the vessel, pushing the church, pushing the, the kingdom towards Christ. And, and it's actually Jesus who is the captain, right? He doesn't only describe himself that way, but he also describes himself this way. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ as, and stewards. Uh, th this word steward understood in the Greek uh, means an estate manager, an estate manager, right? Big, imagine big stately house, uh, big, big uh, you know, courtyards and, and such. And, 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 and the estate manager manages the estate. He keeps the grounds. He makes sure the house is clean. He makes sure, you know, all the valuables stay where they're supposed to be. And, and then that's what he does. None of it's his. He doesn't own it. Uh, he, he can't claim it. He, he's not, you know, uh, laid up in the master bedroom, you know, bring me my tea, you know. Uh, he's the estate manager. He's just there to serve. That's, that's, what, that's what he tells them that he is supposed to be. Now, now, look at the verse again. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of what? Of the mysteries of God. Well, what are the mysteries of God? Well, he's already described that for us back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the, uh, the, the second chapter here. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So when Paul uses the word mystery, he doesn't use the word mystery in the way that we use the word mystery. We use the word mystery in the sense of something that nobody knows the answer to. 
Like you, you come downstairs and you uh, open up the pantry and you say, who ate the last of the Frito-Lays? And your kid says, I don't know. And everybody says, I don't know. And then you say, well, it must be a mystery. That's how we use the word mystery. But Paul uses the word mystery in this way. Um, a mystery is something that, that we couldn't understand, but then was later on revealed. Uh, I.e., um, that before the foundations of the world, God chose to set his love upon some. He loved the chosen so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place for our sins, that by placing our faith on him, we might be saved. That's the mysteries of God. That is the gospel, church family. So he's saying, we are lowly servants, uh, estate managers, working and proclaiming this great mystery, which is the gospel of God. That's, that's who pastors are. That's, that's how you should regard us. Don't, don't, don't deify us. We're just, we're lowly servants, but also don't vilify us because we're here to serve you. We're here to preach the gospel to you. That's what he's saying. Moreover, verse two, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful so when the estate manager, when, this, when the estate manager is there working, when the estate owner shows back up, what is required of the estate manager? That, that he be faithful. Again, that the grounds are taken care of, that the house is clean, that, the, that everything is in order. He's required uh, to be faithful. And in the same way, preachers and pastors are required, what is required of us is faithfulness. So listen very closely, church family. As a pastor, I am not called to be innovative. As a pastor, I am not called to be creative or funny. I am not required to be brilliant or eloquent, which as many of you know, would be an impossibility. You see, when Jesus returns or I go to see him face to face, what is required of me is that I be faithful, that I stand week by week and preach the gospel, that I do everything that I can to pour out my life for you and with you, alongside of you, as your friend, as your pastor, as somebody who loves you and cares about you. I stand with you. I stand beside you, and I give you my life. I'm required to be faithful by God's grace. I'm not required to be successful in the eyes of the world. I'm required to be faithful. You see, we, we often look at the pastor and, and say, we, we want our pastors to make the church grow. I mean, look, is it, is it exciting that our church is growing? Absolutely. Is it exciting that we've had a bunch of people download our podcast and, you know, viewing us live streaming? All, all that is great, but that is not what is required of your pastors. What is required of your pastors is faithfulness, faithfulness, holiness in their lives, humility in their lives, and standing up week by week and preaching the gospel. And, and so this is what he's trying to communicate to them because they have formed an ill opinion, an unadvised opinion about their pastors. And as a matter of fact, God requires this from all Christians everywhere, not just pastors, but all Christians everywhere are required or called to be faithful. So if you're here this morning and you're a mother, you're called to be a faithful mom loving your kids, teaching them the Bible, growing them up so that they love Jesus. If you're here and you're a dad, you're required to be faithful. Go work your job, provide for your family, love your wife, love your kids, be faithful, be faithful. You're here and you're single, you're required to be faithful, to love Jesus, to serve your church, to, to see the gospel go out from this place to, to all the reaches of, of Georgia and the whole United States. Be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. That's required of all Christians. 
everywhere. Now, what he's going to say next is incredibly powerful. In, in verses three and four, he communicates this idea, which, I, which I'm kind of landing on as the heart of this text. And so what I, I just want to tell, tell you, I want to give you the idea of what he's about to say in verses uh, three and four. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The Bible does not tell us to disregard what other people think. It tells us that ultimately it doesn't matter. Ultimately, right? Think deeply with me on this. He, he, he's not saying, you know, when other people tell you that you're being crazy or other people tell you that you're getting on their nerves or other people tell you that, you know, just dis no, you, you do you, you know, don't worry about them. You, you know, no, no, that's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying totally disregard what other people say or other people's opinion because other people's opinion about you can be helpful to, to help you grow. What he is saying is that ultimately God is the final judge. That's, that's what he's about to say. Okay, let's, let's read it in verses three and four and see if you can, if you can see that too. Verse, uh, verse three, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. <laughs> well, tell us what you really think, Paul. Right? It's, it, it is a very small, I, 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 it's, you know, it's a blip, a tiny blip on my radar that you guys have judged me is, is what Paul is saying. But it is a very small thing with me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. <laughs> I like, I like the Apostle Paul. He is funny. Now, what Paul is making crystal clear is that in verses 1 and 2, what, what he was saying to them is this. I'm your servant. I'm here to serve you. I, he, he was there with him, giving his life to them and for them, pouring himself out as a drink offering is what he goes on to say, right? He poured himself out for these people. He is their servant, but th this is so, so important. He's saying, I am your servant, church in Corinth, but listen, you are not my master. Jesus is his master. That, that's exactly what, he, what he's getting at. And so Gospel Community Church, please hear me. I am your servant. I hope that by God's grace, I've shown you that with my life. But, but you are not my master. Jesus is. In the same way, we are called to serve at our jobs that we work at. We're called to, to serve our bosses and our employers, but they are not our master. In the same way, we are called to love and serve our children, but your children are not your boss. You're called to love and serve your spouse, but your spouse is not ultimately your boss. Your master, Jesus is. Jesus is. And that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. And then, and then he kind of gives this little, so, so look back at verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Or by any human court, in fact, I do not even judge myself. <laughs> Here's what he's saying, if you're taking notes. How much or how little you feel like you have accomplished for Jesus is irrelevant. How much or how little you feel like you've accomplished for Jesus, you've accomplished for the kingdom, is irrelevant. The danger is giving yourself too little or too much credit. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. The, the danger with, with um, kind of coming up with your own idea about how much impact you've had on the kingdom of God or how much you've done for Jesus um, is that you're going to give yourself too little credit, meaning, well, I, I've never preached a sermon. I, I've never stood on stage in front of hundreds of people and proclaimed the gospel. Well, I, I, I've never written a blog post about the glories of Christ that hundreds of people have read. Um, I, I never wrote a commentary on the book of James that, you know, seminary students or 
I, I haven't done anything significant for the kingdom. Right? That's, that's so dangerous to think that way. Because if you're just faithful, if you just love your spouse and, and show them what it's like uh, to, to be in a relationship that reflects Christ, you've been faithful. If you just love your children and teach them the gospel, if you get up day by day and go to work and, and, and support your local church and love the people in your church family, just be faithful. Just be faithful. The other, the other way is just as dangerous. Not to give yourself too little credit, but to give yourself too much. Well, I did stand on the stage and preach the gospel. Right? I, I planted a church. I, did, I wrote a book, and it went to the number one bestseller, and all these people are reading about the glories of Christ. I've accomplished so much. Be careful. Because God will come and judge the motives of your heart. God will come and judge the reason that you did all of that stuff. So, that, so that's the danger. That's why Paul says, I, I, don't, I don't even judge myself. Ultimately. Now, <laughs> our problem is we believe <laughs> we are not good enough in the eyes of others and of God, and while simultaneously holding a very high opinion of ourselves, we need to let both die. That's the, I, I know that's in your soul because it's in mine. On, on, one, on one side, I have this overwhelming uh, suspicion that, that I just don't measure up. You ever feel that way? You, maybe you compare yourself with the lives of other people, or you compare your marriage with that marriage, or you compare your kids with that kids, or your house with that house, or this, this guy's income with your income, and you feel like you are never going to measure up and that you're just not good enough. You're not good enough in the eyes of your friends, you're not good enough in the eyes of your family, and you're not, certainly not good enough in the eyes of God. Ever feel that way? And, and then sometimes over here, I feel like I've got it all together. I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I feel like, I, you know, I've, I've got a plan and I know, I know where I'm headed. Ultimately, what matters is what God thinks of us. So I can let both of those ideas die. I can let both of those opinions die and be free to just live in what God says that I am. I can be free to live in the opinion that God has of me, not the opinion that I have of myself, not the opinion that others have of me. I am free to live in the opinion that God has about me. Y'all are not happy about that. I am, I am very excited about that. That is really good news to begin our year with. Amen. Okay. Verse four, he says this, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. He's, I'm, I'm not aware of anything. Now, uh, he certainly doesn't mean he's not aware of any sin in his life. Uh, go, read, go read Romans chapter 7, okay? Paul says, hey, as soon as I discovered the law, I realized what a terrible sinner I was. As, as soon as they said, do not covet, he said, I realize I covet a lot. So, so he's aware of sin, but what he's saying is, when I, when I was there in Corinth with you guys, I was faithful. I faithfully preached the gospel. I, I did what God told me to do. I'm not aware of anything. But then he comes back around. You see what he said? There? He's like, but, but I'm not acquitted because even his own opinion of himself isn't that important. Right? It's, it's ultimately God's opinion that really matters. Look back at it again. Verse 4. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. I'm not off the hook. Just because I think that I did a good job, I'm not off the hook. It is the Lord... Who judges me? That's what, that's what he goes on to say. So I said it before, and I'll say it again. What God thinks is really what counts. 
Okay, now, as a disclaimer, this does not mean that their negative opinions of him did not hurt his feelings, but it meant that their negative opinions of him would not move him from being faithful. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. He was there to preach the gospel and to do what God told him to do. And no matter how you know, grumpy they got or wanted him to do something different, he, he was not going to be moved from what God told him to do. He was going to be faithful. I pray that we can be the same way. Now, let's just look back at this. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord, the Lord who judges me. God's opinion, God's opinion, God's opinion is ultimate, not everybody else's. I want, us to, I want that to resonate in our hearts today. I want that to liberate some people today. I, I feel like there's so many of us who are just being crushed by the opinions that we've formed about ourselves, being crushed by the opinions of other people. And we need to realize, we need to get this deep down into our soul. I want us to think deeply about this this morning. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Because of the cross of Christ, we belong to Christ and are now therefore have the freedom to be insignificant. Gosh, this is so amazing. So many of us are trying so hard to be something in the eyes of the world. So many of us are trying to be something in the eyes of our family. We're trying to be significant. We're trying to be important. We we're, we're so value the opinions of other people and want other people to think that we're awesome, to think that we're significant, to think that we're a big shot. We're trying so hard. But look, what the cross of Christ says is because of the cross of Christ, we belong to Christ, and now there is freedom to be insignificant by the world standards because you are significant in the eyes of God. This is, this is amazing. You are so significant that he chose you. You are so significant that he placed his love upon you. You're so significant that God chased you. You are so valuable that he sent his son to die for you so that you could be a part of his family. But you must understand your value and your significance does not come from anything that you have done. Your value and your significance comes because God has placed it on you. Verse five. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Well, what time is that, Paul? Well, he tells us, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Can you, can you hear uh, what's going on in the, the hearts of the Corinthians? Can, can you hear maybe even what they are they're saying out loud? They're, they're saying something like, oh, you, have you guys listened to the Apostle Paul? I mean, this guy, he's going to have the greatest impact on the kingdom of God. And, and this guy over here, he's saying, no, no, no. Have you, have you listened to, to Apollo's preach? I mean, that guy, he is going to have the greatest impact on the kingdom of God. You just, just wait and see. And, and what the Apostle Paul says in verse 5 is, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. Meaning, they're so insistent that this particular pastor, this particular pastor, this guy over here is going to have this, this massive impact when they have no idea what they're talking about. They don't have the information that the Lord has. So he's telling them not to pronounce judgment before the, the Lord comes. Now, uh, so, so look at verse five. He says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Just as, as a point of clarification, to be clear, Paul is not saying that you cannot make any judgments about pastors or ministries. Okay, there, there's, listen, you guys are smart enough to know there's some sketchy pastors out there. 
There's sketchy ministries that are that are all about uh, you know uh, getting rich, you know, and and the only person in the whole church that's getting rich is the pastor. Okay, you got to watch out for sketchy pastors and sketchy ministries, the sketchy pastors who try to exploit the, the people for their own personal gain. So he's not saying that, that you can't make um, those type of judgments. What he is saying uh, is there is a clear call from the scriptures for us to be wise and discerning, but we must not think that we can know the full significance or lack thereof of our impact in the kingdom. Paul is saying the knowledge of how effective they were is ultimately in the hands of God. That's, that's what Paul is saying. Then he says this, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So again, it's about faithfulness and having the motive to see Christ glorified. So a pastor can stand on stage and, and preach his heart out talking about Jesus, but, but really what he's doing is he's trying to promote himself. And therefore, he has ill motives. And when Jesus returns, he'll say, yeah, yeah you, the, after you preach, man, the, the audience clapped. I mean, that's, that's what you wanted and that's what you got. But for this person over here that was faithful and faithfully pointed people to Christ, I, I'm, I'm going to give him a big reward. That's, that's what he's saying. And so if you're taking notes, you can jot this down on the final day. The people you have never heard of will receive their greatest reward so be faithful. People you've never heard of. I mean, we, we think, man, John Piper, he's going to, I mean, just load up with so many crowns. You know, he probably will. He's John Piper. But, <laughs> but, but so is Frank. You know, like there's Frank down there at the feet of Jesus and, and there's all these crowns. And you're like, I don't even know Frank, you know, but, but there he is. He was faithful. He was faithful. He was faithful. And therefore, God gave him a great reward. Okay. Now, in verses six and seven, it, it kind of, he, he's kind of like, so like any good uh, long-winded preacher, what, what the Apostle Paul has just done is he's talked about all this over here so that he can come over here and make a point. Okay, that's, that's what a good long-winded preacher will do. And so verses one through four, he's kind of been unpacking this whole thing so that he can get to uh, verses six and seven and... <laughs> And we're not getting to 8 through the rest of the chapter today, uh, but in verses 8 through the rest of the chapter, Paul gets real sassy. I mean, I mean he, he get it's, he, look, just look at, just for fun, look at verse 10. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. I mean, he, get, he gets so sarcastic and cutting on these dudes. Uh, but anyway, we're not there yet. That's, that's next week. Um, so, so what he's doing in, in 6 and 7 is he's getting down to the very heart of it that they're, they're dealing with such deep pride issues. And as a matter of fact, in verse 7, there's like if they're a big giant balloon that's being filled up with pride, verse seven is, is like a pen that stabs that balloon three times. Okay, let, let's just, let's get to it. Verse, verse six, he, he tells us this. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos, meaning verses one through, through four or one through five. Uh, he, he applied all that. He was talking about him being a servant. He's I'm saying all this stuff. Verse, verse six, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Do, do you see 
um, what he's saying there. He's saying in verses one through five, I explain to you that I'm a lowly servant in the bottom of the boat rowing so that you can see that you too should model yourself that way of being a lowly servant. Don't be puffed up. Don't, don't think you're more important than what you actually are. Right, I showed you that I'm a lowly servant as a way to be a model so that you would be a lowly servant. He also said, I told you that ultimately not to care about your opinion, hopefully so that you realize that your opinion is actually not that important. I told you all those things to, to be of help to you. And then, then he has this, look at this phrase. I, I love this phrase. Look at it. That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Well, so, so I just told you all of that so that you, Corinthian church, would learn not to go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond what is what's, what's What's that mean? Well, obviously, he's talking about what? The Bible. He's talking about the scriptures. Don't go beyond what the Bible says. And the Bible reveals to us that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so you can't put pastors on a pedestal because they're sinners too. But God also appointed to us leaders and helpers to help us grow in our faith. That's what the Bible says. So don't go beyond what's written. Right? That's, that's what he's saying. Don't go beyond what is written. I, I desperately hope. And it, it, I, I kind of get this sense that when Paul was there ministering to the church in Corinth, that's just something that he kept on saying. Don't, don't, don't go beyond what's written. Don't go beyond what's written. Hey, guys, Sunday morning, so glad you're here. Don't go beyond what's written. And, and you know, at his concluding prayer, we're about to go home, everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, don't forget, don't go beyond what's written. And so he's reminding them of this uh, again and again and again. Now, here it comes. Three jabs, three, three barbs, three pokes, right in this big, giant uh, balloon of pride. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Do you see how sharp this is? He, he begins with, for who sees anything different in you? What does that mean? Uh, it means, why do you think you're better than everybody else? That, that's, that's what he said. Who made you so special? I know that your, you know, your, your first grade teacher told you that you were a little special snowflake and you were an individual beauty, but, but you're not better than anybody else. Who, who, do you, who do you think you are? And if you have any good gift, where do you think you got the gift? It came from God. And so if it came from God, why are you bragging on yourself? Why are you bragging on your favorite teacher? Why are you bragging on your celebrity star pastor? Just give glory to God. Like you can, you can almost just like feel the, the righteous anger bubbling up in the apostle Paul as, as he approaches verse seven, for who sees anything different than you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Stop doing that. You know, you can hear him almost yelling through the pages of this. So Paul gives a barrage of, the, of these three rhetorical questions. You, he, he's saying this, you are not that special. The only reason that you have any significance whatsoever is because God has placed it on you. Quit bragging. That's what he's saying in, in verse seven. Well, what are we to do with these seven verses, church family? Well, again, I, I stated that my hope, my desire is that... Um, that there would be a sense of liberation today. 
that there would be a sense of freedom in your soul, that you are not bound, you are not bound by the opinions you have of yourself. You are not bound by the opinions of your family. You are not bound by the opinions of your coworkers. You are not bound by the opinions of anyone whatsoever. You are who God says you are. I, I want for us collectively together to take a huge sigh of relief today. Because I'm not bound. When I go out those doors, I'm not who the world tells me I am. I'm who God says that I am. I am who God says that I am because God's opinion is really what counts. Say it with me, church family. God's opinion is really what counts. And what is God's opinion of us? I just, I read those scriptures to you. I told you, well, and I'm not going to do it again. I'm just kidding. I'm going to do it again. I read every, stand up. Get up, church family. The, the opinion that matters most is God's opinion, and here is what God says we are. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared before those that we should walk in Him. Galatians 4.7 So you are no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave, church family. This is great news. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for who you say that we are. We thank you for your declaration over our life to proclaim that we are significant, that we are loved. Maybe not in the eyes of the world. Maybe not in the eyes of our family. Maybe not in the eyes of our coworkers. Maybe not in anyone else's eyes other than yours. But you say that we are significant. You say that we are valued. You say that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for your own possession. You say that we are not a slave. These are things that you have declared over it. Let us live in your opinion of us, not in the opinions of others. This is my prayer for us today, and I pray all these things in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.